Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank God for folks who sing. Thank God for all that God is doing. Thank you for coming on a Monday night, and who knows what's going to happen? Hmm? Who knows? Let me read something to you tonight as we begin. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 13. I just want to read something to you. It says, it's a poem that I found. It says, not really a poem. It doesn't rhyme, but it's called The Last Time. It's from the moment you hold your baby in your arms, you will never be the same. You might long for the person you were before when you had freedom and had time and nothing in particular to worry about. You will know tired lists like, you, like you've never known it before. Days will run into days that are exactly the same, full of feeding and burping and whining and fighting and naps or the lack of naps. It might seem like a never-ending cycle, but don't forget, there is a last time. There will come a time when you will feed your baby for the last time. And they will fall asleep on you after a long day, and it will be the last time you ever hold your sleeping child. One day you will carry them on your hip, then set them down, and they'll run off, and you'll never carry them that way again. You will scrub their, their hair and their, in the bath one night, and from that day on, they will want to bathe alone. You will hold your, they will hold your hand across the road, then you'll never reach out, or they'll never reach out for your hand again. They will creep into your room at midnight for cuddles, and it'll be the last time you ever wake for this. One afternoon, you will sing. The wheels of the bus go round and round and do all the actions, and you'll never sing that song again. They will run and kiss you goodbye at the school gate, and the next day, they will ask to walk to the gate alone. You will read a final bedtime story, wipe the last dirty face, and they will one day run to you with their arms raised for the last time. The thing is, you won't even know it's the last time until there are no more times. And even then, it would take you a long time to realize you've had your last time. So while you're living in these moments, frustrated as you might be, Remember, there are only so many of them, and when they're gone, they're gone. And you will yearn for just one more of them. I read that, and the article uh, said the author was unknown, but it really moved me. So let me be brutally honest and transparent tonight. I do not speak tonight from what I'm going to minister on as a perfect example on the topic. So I chose the title of my sermon, Accordingly. And that title is called, God Help, I'm a Parent. <laughs> Open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 13. I don't typically preach revivals with a topic that singles out a certain group of people and leaves everyone else out, but I felt impressed yesterday, I felt impressed this morning, and in prayer I felt impressed again, and so I'm, I'm going to go with God. Judges 13, everybody. We're going to skip around just a tad bit, starting in verse number 2. Now there was a certain man from Zoah, Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to, this, to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God you sent come to us again and teach us what we should do for the child who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman 
again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose, followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink any wine or similar drink uh, or anything unclean. All that I command her, let her observe. Verse 15, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. Skip down to verse 19. It says, so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And then it carries into what occurred after that. I need you to have that in your mind. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for the truth of your word. And I am asking today, God, for grace. God, to minister, God, especially, God, in this hour in which we live, God, help us as parents. God, we need your direction. Now more than ever, I plead the blood over this this time together. I plead the blood at this altar. Help us, oh God, in Jesus' name. Come on, can you say amen? God help, I'm a parent. There are three truths tonight concerning parenting from this moment Manoah had with the angel of God I want to discuss with you. Number one, as Manoah said, teach us how to raise this boy. Judges 13 and verse number eight, it says, then Manoah, can I just pause? Hold on. Now, maybe tonight you're not a parent. Maybe tonight you say, well, I'm just a kid. I'm just young. Or maybe um, you're single and not maybe. Maybe you just got married and you think, I don't have any kids. Just listen, please. Take notes. Because we need godly offspring. Malachi 2 says that's what God is after, godly offspring. And it doesn't happen by chance. It happens on purpose. So number one, Manoah said, teach us how to raise this boy. Verse 8 of our text Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Verse number nine, it says, And God listened to the voice of Manoah. Please listen to me, mom, dad. God listens to you when you pray. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. God hears you and I when we bend our knee and pray, especially when we are praying about our children. He prayed and his prayer caused heaven to respond. And when heaven responded, his first words to this, even before he had a child, this was just a promise, nothing had occurred as of yet. He comes to him. He says, are you the man? Yes, I'm the man. He said, teach us. For teach us. First words to this man. Teach us. He understood that he needed help. That he had a firm grasp on his own insufficiency. That he wasn't going to just lean on what he had been taught his whole life. But he asked God, reveal your wisdom in shaping this child. Folks, this is such a challenge today. Children are pages and pages that are unwritten upon. And they will either learn from you and I as parents or they'll collect everything they're going to learn from everywhere else. And this is the challenge. I wrote this sermon and as um, I was uh, thinking on it for a while, um, I had my grandson with me and, uh, and you know, I'm trying to put him in the back seat of our, 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 our SUV and I got the car seat, I strapped it in and we're going to have my grandson for the day. So I'm kind of excited. We're going to be together, my wife, me, my grandson, and I'm trying to strap this boy in this dumb car seat. How many remember car seats just used to be like click, click and they're strapped in? These doggone things, you need a college degree. Folks, I'm like, hey, man, what in the world? What's, what's this going? And my wife is laughing. I'm like, man, this dumb car seat. I mean, it's hot in Arizona. I'm burning up, folks. I'm getting three shades darker trying to put in a car seat. I'm like, this is ridiculous. He's about to go in a seat seat. Just strap him in, duct tape him, something. This is ridiculous. Folks, it is ridiculous. 
It's a dumb car seat. And my grandson said, can't speak nothing else. Dumb car seat. And my wife like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Better watch what you say. They are soft clay. They're ready to be shaped. And the question is, what are we going to say to them? Can you put that picture up for me, that, that, that picture I sent you? It's interesting. My wife sent this to me. She said, this is one of the most powerful images I've ever seen. Study it. Clean up your act or for the sake of your children. Their minds are fragile. Their emotions run deep. Don't destroy them mentally because words you can never take back. And in there it says, brat, this is your own fault. I don't have time for this. Just quit, let it go. And you have a little kid crying as mom is just spewing words. That's profound to me. That's powerful. I know it's kind of oaky, kind of crazy looking, but it's reality. What are we going to say to our kids? Proverbs 22 says, train up a child. This has to do with more than yelling when they do wrong. But showing them why and how and what is acceptable and willing to uh, be willing to reward or punish when it's right or wrong. Parenting is not for the lazy. Parenting is not to get more on welfare or taxes. It's preaching somewhere and somebody was boasting about how much extra income they had. And they said the reason why they had this extra income is because they're fostering kids. So can I say kids are not a business to make money. Vexed my soul. I didn't have any right to say anything, but I sure did want to. They're not, they're not, they're not for a tax deduction and they mean more than income. Train up a child, the Bible says. Can I make a statement that might not uh, uh, go very well because we, we kind of graduate from our parenting, but I'm going to declare to you today, you're never going to graduate and your kids uh, are not your friends. Hello, somebody. Our children are not our friends. I am their dad and I will always be their dad. And for the rest of their life, I am going to be their father. They don't grab, well, they're just, no, you can dismiss what a friend says, but mom and dad, their words mean something. They're your children on loan from God. You know, the breakdown of the home is one of the most undersold issues of the day. Parenting, by definition, listen to this. It's the process of promoting and supporting the physical, emotional, social, and intellectual uh, development of a child from infancy to adulthood. Parenting refers to the intricacies of raising a child. The challenge of parenting. Used to. Used to. Turn on the radio and receive such help. Used to have stories that, that come on the radio that all had a moral plot and undergirded everything mom and dad was trying to teach at home. It was not just entertaining, but it was strengthening the moral fibers of an entire generation that's coming up. But there are no Father Knows Best series anymore. There is no more Brady Bunches. There are no more leave it to beavers. Even Bonanza, a Western, had a moral plot. Even the violence of gun smoke, if you listen to them, they all had a moral plot. And I hate to say the term and the name, but it still bears witness to everybody here today. There are no more Cosby shows. Hello, somebody. They're not around. Why? Because it's not popular today. Everything is dysfunctional. Manoah, he said, teach us. And I'm telling you, there is so much that has made this parenting challenging. The home being the first classroom or schoolhouse, it is very challenging today to try and instruct their Proverbs 31 and verse 1. It says, the words... Of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. And you can begin to read all that she taught her son at home about life. 
What she taught him about justice. What she taught him about drinking. What she taught him about women. Don't squander your life. Don't go chasing women. Leave that. That is not fitting for king's son. She also taught this boy of hers about being godly. And not only about being godly, but marrying godly. And listen, you want a good life. Watch and look for the virtuous wife. That's the teaching from mom at home. See, Manoah understood that he needed help. He said, wait, wait, God, help us. We have never been parents before. You know, it's amazing to me. People that have never been parents want to try and instruct all these folks who have kids. Well, well, if I had kids, well, well, you don't, so be quiet. How many know what I'm talking about? They never had not a kid in their life, but they can tell everybody how to raise a child. Y'all know the Kiara, my daughter. She was that way until she had a child. Now all of a sudden she's like, oops. <laughs> uh, oops. It's not going to lean on what he was taught. God, you've got to help me. He said, God, you've got to reveal your wisdom in shaping this life. You know, the issue today is many know everything have so much knowledge but to apply that to their own child you know pastor campbell said these words it's profound to me every parent is their child's prophet when he said that i said what in the world every parent is their child's prophet what they believe how they will react and act in life, their sense of value, their honor system, it all stems from you and I as their parent and comes from mom and dad. Will they love God and his people? Will they respect authority? Will they love the church house and the people of God? Will they have a desire and a love for humanity? Will they have work ethic? All of this is taught at home. In the formative years. It's why it's such a travesty to have parents that permit their boys to wear girl clothes. There's a story in the news. This was last year sometime where a kid wanted to be a girl and the parents said it's okay for you to be a girl. So this kid goes on thinking he's a girl, but he's a boy. The problem with this is not something that is in the moment, even though it is horrific in the moment. It's not just the moment. The issue is later when all of life states to that boy that he is a boy everything from sports to jobs to his voice that he has to fake and try and change then he has to live with what he had been taught at home in that classroom by mom and dad which grows goes cross grain with everything in life goes cross grain with every ounce of nature he is a boy by all verifiable biological traits but mom and dad say you can be a girl if you want to and the kid will believe this and then he'll have psychological troubles later when all of life is arguing with what he has been believing and this is a you know this is why they called homosexuality a mental disorder 45 years ago talk about changing the script relax I'm not preaching on that even though I feel like it Children learn first at home, period. And this couple stated these profound words to the Lord. Oh, God, teach us. That's number one. Number two is Manoah understood that this life has purpose. Verse 12, it says, what will be this boy's rule of life and his work? What do you have to tell us, God, about this boy and His life's work. In essence, God has something to say about the life that he has fashioned. Luke 2 and verse 34, then Simeon 
rises up and says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. This is speaking of Jesus. But here, a man takes this lad and lifts him up, a little baby, and prophesies over him incredible truth that none else knew, maybe except Mary and Joseph, none else knew. He's prophesying this life has destiny. Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you, ordained you a prophet. To the, it didn't, this isn't haphazard. It's not like an, oh yeah, well we need a prophet, so let's find one. No, no, this is ordained from the womb. God has a purpose for every life. Paul stated that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. David, he said, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Listen, listen, which were preordained that you and I would walk in. Ephesians 2.10, God has already ordained them. The word of God speaks of the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, that there are steps, there are plans and purposes that God has for every life. And Manoah understands this child will have destiny. Manoah knows that it will not be automatic. He's going to have to train him up in that direction. In essence, he has a part to play as the father. She has a part to play as the mother. And the weight of this responsibility is upon this couple. God, we need help. We need help because this child obviously has destiny. We cannot make him live his destiny out, but we can help along the way. We can protect his purity. Judges 13, verse 13. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. She may not eat. She may not drink. Don't touch. You know, there are things that you and I as parents need to stay away from. So disgusting and so sad to hear of parents that touch things at home where the kids see. And then the preacher preaches on it and the parents are like, amening. But at home, the kids are seeing something completely different. You cannot protect your child from the dangers that you permit to live right in their home. You know how I started smoking? I ended up smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. You know how I started smoking? Because my dad would go to the bathroom and leave a lit cigarette in the ashtray. Now I started drinking, 14 years old, drinking. You know how I started drinking? Because they had Bacardi and rum and, and whatever one was in the little purple velvet case. All that stuff was in our home. And so when they weren't around, we would open stuff up and drink sips out of this. This is how it all started. Where did that happen? At home. So deep was this bondage, it took God to deliver me from what I learned at home. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. They can get upset all they want, but they gave it to me at home. Parents, we're to watch over. We are to cover. We are to protect. Watch who they stand with. Keep them within view. Our desire to be pure and holy is directly connected with our ability to teach them to be. Psalms 1.1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't, he doesn't walk with ungodly, doesn't stand with sinful, um, and the Bible says he doesn't sit um, with the scornful. And Jesus um, said he speaks um, and teaches in uh, uh, Matthew 7 um, of a huge crowd um, of people that are running off to perdition, running off to judgment, running off to destruction. And he said the crowd is large and many are in it. And I'm telling you a, a profound truth. Our children will naturally drift to this crowd. They'll naturally drift to the ungodly. They'll naturally drift to the path of the sinful. Sit with the scornful. They'll naturally, you know why? Because these people are famous. These people have all the stuff that every child yearns for. 
you'll naturally find that wide path because the sinful nature will take over them if we don't teach them about it. All have sinned. And so they have a fallen nature that they have no clue on how to subdue. Peter, he said, flee youthful lusts that war against the soul. Flee them. Folks, this is so profound that there is a drift towards sinful pleasures and the world will pull upon them that our children have a destiny, but they must be trained into this. Hannah, Hannah, she understood this. She has her child and the Bible says beforehand, she says, God, I'll lend him back to you. You give him to me, I'll give him back because she understood that God gave her the boy Samuel and so she surrendered him back to the Lord. That's what our entire, that's what happened Sunday morning here. All the couples that had came forward. God, please help me. I'm a parent. Hello, somebody. Your child has destiny. Your child has a divine purpose. And do we really understand this? Children's church workers are not there to give you a break from your children. Do we really understand this? Paul, speaking to Timothy, states these precious words. He says that there is a faith, Timothy, that is in you. That first dwelt in your grandmother and then in your mother. And now he says it is in you. Oh, the joy that must have flooded these these two, grandma and mom, as they saw Timothy rise up in ministry and become the youngest pastor in scripture. What a joy this must have been for them. He has destiny. It's very interesting that God came to Mary and Joseph to raise the boy Jesus. What he saw in this couple, that he would choose them for the sacred task of rearing the boy, rearing the baby, protecting. Jesus had definite purpose. It was spoken to Joseph to save his people from their sins. And this couple was needed to protect to shelter, to tend to the baby until the baby was released into that destiny. And we know the stories, I'm not going to linger, but the devil was after the child, and this is how it always is. He's after the child. So let me just ask, what about your children? What about your children? Well, they're not kids no more, they're adults. You're still their mom and dad. Are your kids just kids? Are they an inconvenience? Are they just teenagers? Well, you know teenagers. Do you know there's no such thing as teenager in the kingdom? It's not in the Bible. Well, they're adolescents. No, that's our way of dealing with this, but it's not biblical, really. Our children have a divine purpose. They have a divine, think about it. Josiah was eight years old and he was a king. How did he have the mental capacity? It's in your Bible. Well, them kids, okay. Well, some kids were kings. You and I, do we recognize the honor of partnering with God in this? You know, God was so upset with Eli because he ignored this. 1 Samuel 3, listen to the word of God tonight. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. He wouldn't restrain them. He wouldn't keep them. He allowed them to continue on continuing. And because of this, they continued in a path that ended in their judgment and deaths. And do not, do not mistake what this is saying. God, God, he's going to judge sin. Do not excuse your child's sin. 
correct them while it is possible. Hello, preach that preacher. Do not, do not, well, they're just my kid. Well, you know, it's just my kid. No, no, no. Okay, all right. Galatians 5 states that the acts of the flesh are evident. And when we see our children manifest the acts of the flesh, we have to train them differently and do it quickly. Proverbs 23, 13, without or withhold not correction from your child. For if you beat him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. He's not speaking of getting a rod and, and commit child abuse. We take these things way out of context. But what it is speaking about is when you see foolishness in your child, the only way to get it out is to judge it. You cannot reason. Well, they're a kid. They don't know how to reason. Their reason comes from the schoolhouse called your home. You've got to teach them and you've got to train that you cannot act like, no, you're not going to say, no, you're not going to call. Listen, call me by my first name. I dare you. I remember my daughter had an attitude problem, Kiara. She had an attitude problem with her mom, and she said something. I said, you know what, Kiara? I'm going to smack your lips off your face if you do that one more time. And then I had to laugh because I started thinking about that. How's that going to be like? <laughs> so we're all kind of chuckling about it now, but I was mad. I was saying, hey, you ain't never going to talk to your mom like that, ever. Do it again. You're going to be a lipless little girl. Well, you know, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Because if they do it in your home, it magnifies. If they go to B and C in your home, they go to Z outside. They learn it at home, and we take care of it at home, and then they go out and live. We are a chase. Hello, somebody. This is who we are. We're children of God, and God doesn't want us acting like that, and neither do I want you acting like that. Manoah, he said, teach us, God, what will be his rule in this life? What will be his work? He understood that the child had destiny. And last, Manoah worshiped God for his son. Chapter 13, verse 15 and verse 19, please let us detain you and we prepare you a young goat. Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat, grain offering, offered it upon the rock to the Lord. They were so grateful that they worshiped they were so grateful that they gave God praise and the opportunity for the opportunity to have. It didn't even come to pass yet. It's not even, it didn't even happen. They are, they, are, they are laying worship before the throne of God for a promise that God has given them. This prompted a spontaneous offering. So to understand why this means so much, you have to reread how the story opens. Verse 2 of our text, it says, There was a man named Manoah and his wife was barren. That barrenness meant emptiness. It meant no fruit. It meant no children. It meant no lineage. It stops right here. All my children are grown. They're old. They're out. Get out. They've got children. They're starting their families. But it's not our dream to be empty nesters from the start. We love life, we love youth, we love the laughter that comes by way of children. My wife, she'll listen to all the sounds of baby laughter, other babies laughing, and ha, ha, he, he, ha, ha, the baby laughter. And all of a sudden, my wife is laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? And she's like, oh, the baby's laughing. Somehow, it's so contagious. The innocent laughter of a baby. For this family, there'll be none of that. She's barren, and as life speeds forward, there is this nagging emptiness inside of her. Maybe, just maybe, they have tried for years, no fruit, no baby. I was preaching in London some years back, and there was a couple. Kundai, I believe his name was. He's, he was in the church out of Walthamstow and Bromley. Io was the pastor there. And uh, this couple was there in the church 10 years. He's been faithful. They've been married 10 years, I should say. He's been in the church for all these years. And, and so I, I'm preaching revival, and I prayed for some people, and I felt inspired uh, to pray that God would open some wombs. And this, this couple comes forward and uh, 
tells me their story. Ten years, they were told they couldn't have children and so on and so forth. And they both began to weep as they're trying to tell me that they're older now. And they're just weeping as they're telling me the story. I can feel the pain. We just want children. Folks, um, I don't know what to do. I say, can we pray? Let's just pray and believe God. I prayed for them. I left that revival, did another revival, came back home. I'm on my off week. Before I got on the plane to leave the following week, about two and a half weeks later, I got a message that she was pregnant. And through the years, they sent me picture after picture of the baby. And then all of a sudden, they say, hey, we're having a little girl. They sent me pictures of a little girl. God opened the factory. But for 10 years, for 10 years, the factory was shut down. Like all the workers. Biden took office and sent them to China. I don't know. So the factory wasn't producing nothing. Trump comes in and said, we'll make the womb great again. And poosh. I don't know, man. Anyways. That's my political part of the sermon. And all of a sudden, she had a baby, and everything changed. I mean, their lives changed. Here it is. No fruit. Their lives. Maybe they've been praying for this, but there's nothing. You know, today, we're so hedonistic. We're so selfish as a generation, it's hard to understand the reproach and shame that was upon a woman that could bear fruit because she was a woman, but couldn't bear fruit. We can't comprehend that. Today, it's like a fashion statement to be 20 or 25 or 30 and have no kids. It's like a fashion statement to be married for 10, 15 years and and no children. Had this discussion with one of our evangelists, and I'm not going to get all into this because, you know, he's speaking. I said, yeah, yeah, my, my son had been married a couple of years at that time, two years, whatever. And I said, you know, they're, they're, they're no children yet. And I told him they're slow poke, you know. And he's like, ah, oh, and he tried to argue with me. Ah, oh, they need to be married. They need to uh, leave them alone. Wrong guy, man. So he got an earful. I said, where'd that wisdom come from? You're a preacher. Well, you know, just life, life, man. They just need, I said, where do it come from, though? Can I tell you all about this? She got her phone up. She got, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to tell you about it anyway, because we preachers always ask, and we're like, we tell you anyway. No, you can't. Well, too bad. I'm going to tell you. I said, where did it come from? He said, well, you know, just life. You know, we're getting older, you know, life. I said, I said it's not biblical, though. We, we come from the Bible. The Bible's first parent, first people. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say, well, learn her name. Learn how she lives. No, he said, be fruitful and multiply. That's why you're getting married. Help a preacher for crying out loud. Well, 10 years. Now, folks, that's not wisdom. That's selfish. And that's why Muslims are taking over so much. They come in our communities and have babies and take our tax dollars. While we're stuck on a Western mindset that says, well, I'm just going to get my Porsche and my Rolex. Mm -hmm. Anyways. God's charge to the first couple was be fruitful and multiply. And I'm telling you, folks, that's a need today. There is a reproach. That coupled a childless couple in biblical times, a reproach. Sarah, she said, give me children through my maidservant. Rachel, she said, God, or Jacob, give me children or I die. Hannah, the Bible says, was provoked and harassed because she was barren. Children are a blessing, the scripture teaches. The Bible says, Psalms 127, behold, children are an heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. In our text, God comes to this barren couple living with years of reproach, shame and barrenness, and says, I'm going to give you a child. And their response is insightful. Oh, we can't afford that. No, no, no. We praise you and thank you, God, for this. They understood children are gifts from God, especially since they couldn't produce this gift themselves. It is God who opens and closes the womb. Listen to me, please. Grateful parents teach their children to worship God. To place value upon the Lord, to always hold him in high esteem, 
They teach him to honor God in all of their doings. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The virtuous woman, the Bible says her children would rise up and call her blessed. The Bible says her works would praise her in the gates. They'll bless her because in that home, they saw that virtuous woman, that virtuous wife live out this honor system right here. And when they come to certain junctures in life, intersections, they'll recall the example they had at home. Manoah, he sacrificed and said, Lord, thank you. You didn't have to, but you did. You gave me a child. Like Hannah, I'm going to give him back to you. Verse 24 of our text, it says in the message paraphrase, the woman gave birth to a son. They named him Samson, and the boy grew, and God blessed him. Just a few more truths here. May that be said of our children, that they grow and God blesses them. Not that just they grow, but God blesses them. Let me share a scripture with you that really moves me. Mark Chapter 10 and verse 13, listen to this. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And then he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Dear God, that is profound to me. He took these children in his arms, laid his hand, and spoke his word over them. Think about that. God incarnate. Placing his hand that fashioned the entire world, speaking his blessing that spoke the world into existence no one can annul what God would speak that word that comes forth from God the God who calls things that are not as though they are now speaking directly into your child's life you know why (laughs) because those parents brought their children to Jesus it's not like Jesus sought them out They sought the Lord on behalf of their children. Teach me concerning my child. Help me to grasp that he has destiny. And Father, thank you for the privilege of partnering with you to influence a generation yet to come. Okay. I want to close briefly. It's a a painful truth. That is a reality tonight. And before I can show this, to ease it a tad bit, I want you to see a a quick video. It's only a couple, I don't know, like 50 seconds, 53 seconds or something. But if you could put that video and dim these lights so they can see it for me, please. Yeah, yeah. Okay, watch the video, folks. Sir Richardson. Cumbria. The Jersey champion, no worries, sweeps dreams. This is uh, the cross marine, five and a half years old, known as Libby. This is uh, over the age of 12, so is uh, 17. Handling well ahead of the dog, well ahead of the dog. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. If you don't go behind you, you can lose control. Whoops! Oh, no! Oh, and it was a good run, too. Well, we, a dog's got to do what a dog's got to do. What a show. A dog's oh, going to do what a dog is going to do. What was the reason for the disqualification? Uh, the disqualification. Of course. Now, that's not very <laughs> okay. Okay. (laughs) Did everything right. That trainer did, but got to go, got to go. So in our text, the child was Samson. What do you immediately recognize when I say Samson? Say it. Huh? Say that again. 
Someone said, Delilah. Say it again. Delilah. Someone got it right. Everyone else like blessing and strength and power. The moment we think of Samson, we are struck with the reality of Delilah. Are you with me? Here's a man who couldn't keep things together. We immediately realize that these parents did everything right. They listened to the Lord. They prayed. They worshiped. They honored. They kept themselves. Yet still, their son played the harlot, played with the world, toyed with sin, ate the forbidden, lied to his parents, broke his vows, and is mostly known for being so unbelievably foolish with a woman called Delilah and lost his strength. He was fleshly, he was carnal, he was arrogant, and he was full of pride. That is not what he learned at home, but that is who he became. They did the best that they could to train up their child. That even then, it didn't guarantee their son's passionate service. Why? Because he has his own will. That's why. And for a span of time, his will is going to be subjected to his parents. And during that time, we are to do the best that we can to instill the virtues in them that when hell tempts them and comes to pull upon them and put triggers in their flesh and get them to walk with the scornful and sit with the unrighteous and walk with the ungodly. Listen, listen, when that day comes, our hope is that what we even put into them would rise up inside and they would say, no, I am not going to go that way we're trying to give them an advantage but they still have a will that has to be surrendered to the lord let me make a statement to you good kids still need conversion well i got good kids if they're not saved they're still going to go to hell i can feel that one right there but that's a reality good kids still need jesus So there were two prayers that he prayed throughout scripture and both prayers were answered. Hebrews 11.32 says it like this and then I'm done. What more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets? It's moving to me. And if you read towards the end, he says, of whom the world was not worthy. Samson? He is listed in the hall of faith alongside Gideon and David and Samuel, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all these massive men of God. Listen, if our children today are as Samson was that day and they take a moment to pray, even if they only pray two prayers their entire life, Dear God, may they find themselves like Samson, able to pray the prayer that God would respond that would land them in the midst of such great company as David and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. May they say the prayer that God is willing to answer. Let me just ask, how will they ever learn that prayer unless they ever hear that prayer at home? God, please help. I'm a parent. Come on, bow your heads. God help, I'm a parent. If you're here tonight and there is sin in your heart and life, I tell you, I know I did not preach on sin, but you know this is judging. You know this is heavy. You know this is weighed down in your life and experience, and you're tired of it. Listen, you've got to get tired of your sin. You've got to get tired of being molested, if you would, by that sin and the devil. You got Listen, you've got to get tired of being tricked and lied to, and, and at the end of the day, here you are standing broken, empty, heart-hearted, or, or, or heart hurt all over again. And sick and impoverished some point you got to get tired of being run down and say you know what no more and rise up and say you know what God if you're willing to help me father here I am I'm telling you God will help you and change your life if you would respond God please forgive me I have done wrong but I don't want to live this way come on would you respond tonight very quickly raise your hand slip it up in the air before we move on raise it up and be honest with God God I don't want to go to hell 
I don't want to live like I'm living. I'm driven by my sin. But God, if you're willing to forgive me, God, here I am. I'm telling you, God will forgive you, but you got to ask him. Anyone at all, raise your hand. Slip it up in the air right now. Slip it up. up, up, up. I'm a backslider. I know better. I'm not living right, but I'm going to get my heart right tonight. Come on, raise your hand. Slip it up in the air. Anyone at all? Slip it up, slip it up, slip it up. Okay, very well. Very pointed message. Like I said, I couldn't escape it all day. All day. If there was ever a day we need God to help us with this right here, it's now. I was thinking on this the other day, and Sunday morning, as I'm sitting in the back of the the church, the, the thought came to my head. It was reiterated again this morning in prayer and throughout the day as I'm thinking to myself, no, God, maybe not, and, you know, just wrestling with it. Um, the other morning, as it came into my head, I'm standing in the back of the church, and I had no clue all the children were going to come in and stand there. They stood there, and as I'm just looking around at how many children, I say, I'm feeling in my spirit, yes, yes, so many young children. God help, I'm a parent. God help, I'm a parent. We're going to take a minute right now. If you would stand with me all over this assembly, we're going to take a minute and come to an altar and and cry out to God. We need a generation of parents. Listen, maybe you're a kid and you're just not even recognizing the responsibility on your parents. Listen, allow them to, to parent you with a good heart and a good attitude. Be as best as you can. You're a parent. You say, oh, God, I see the weight. Get out of your seat. Come to this altar. Kneel down just for a few moments. We're going to pray together. I feel inspired to pray for a few things briefly at the altar, but I want to give you a moment right now. Come, come, come quickly. Kneel down and pray, and you talk to God at the altar. Oh, God, I'm a parent. Help me. We can't rely on everything we've learned yesteryear. I could definitely not take everything that I learned as a, as a, a parent from my parents then my kids would be smoking, my kids would be drinking, my kids would never have me tell them I love them, I'm proud. I've never heard those words from my parents, ever. I couldn't learn from what I had. I can, I can learn from some of the actions, maybe, and some of the, the statements that they did or, or, or actions they took. Here, eat this cod liver oil, and I learned later in life that that's good, but I was never told why. I hated the stuff. I was never told it's for your health. No, 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 you're on the, just take it. No, no, at home, we've got to learn. We've got to learn. We've got to learn. God, teach me. I'm a parent. God, help me, please. I'm desperate. Come on. Cry out to God. Your children's future depends oftentimes, more times than not, on what you and I allow them to glean and grow and mature at home. What we're putting in at home, the values of home. That at home, we're the same as we are at church. That in the presence of their friends, they're the same as they are in the presence of family. Parents. And then the kids can look at this and they are deeply moved. 